we had some battles, didn't we? Listen, my last pro game, you score a bicycle kick. Taylor Thomas goes airborne. Good old days. Welcome back to another episode of Offside with me, Taylor Twalman. Thanks for all your feedback and reviews last week. If you didn't listen, we had Sasha Kleshin and Diego Valeri predicting each team's fortune in the upcoming season. Later on this year, we're going to have a roundtable together to count up our points. I just have a feeling I was right more than them, per usual. MLS is officially back. A coast-to-coast first week bookended by Inter-Miami matches. And this weekend... The fun continues. This Saturday, we have a calendar of 13 games. We get started with reigning MLS Cup MVP, Kucho Hernandez, taking the crew into Minnesota. That Messi and Miami host their first match against Eastern Conference rivals, Orlando City. Then to cap off Saturday night, one of the league's original derbies, the Cali Classico, San Jose Earthquakes hosting the LA Galaxy. Then Sunday's lone game is new look Toronto FC heading to take on the Rebs. Watch it every game all year long, including League's Cup and the playoffs. Only in one place, it's MLS season pass on Apple TV. So today, we're going to hear from some leadership at two teams of the West who had very different seasons last year. On one end, LAFC's co-president and general manager, John Thornton, will talk about the off-season moves his team made, 17 players gone from LAFC, and the moves that may still come this summer, after falling one game short of back-to-back MLS Cups. We go for it every single year. As a consequence, you have off-seasons and windows like we do because what we're trying to do accelerates at a rate that exceeds our salary cap. And from the rebuilding Colorado Rapids, fresh off his first game as a head coach, tough one, Chris Armas joins me on the mic to discuss what changes are underway in Colorado and why his team should not be overlooked. They won the second half. They didn't give up a shot on goal. They pushed the game. They stuck together. I swear at 4-1, they all thought they had a chance. But before we talk to my guys there, I want to get to my top things I saw last week. Let's go. Like I'm going to start anywhere else other than South Beach. Inner Miami getting the ball rolling in 2024. Into Messi. Through for Robert Taylor. Messi and Suarez and company started off their season with a 2-0 victory, getting the second against the run of play. And in L.A., they had Drake Callender and a surprising second yellow card to thank for keeping them in it. The Galaxy ran all over them. In all seriousness, the age, the pace, the depth of the team, they're already under intense pressure. And it's game two. But for right now, they can tell me to fuck off. They're undefeated. The second point is, I got to go to the Pacific Northwest. Nobody saw this coming from the Portland Timbers on day one. On the back post, it's Williamson! Welcome back, Eric Williamson in Portland. 
chip in to Anthony! It's a dream start for the Timbers! It's a goal. It's 3-0 Portland. Four goals for the host, Timbers. Two of them from Anthony. The Portland Timbers played against an improved yet rebuilding Colorado Rapids. But in a new Timbers era, I could not be happier for the first goal to fall to one Eric Williamson. Two ACL injuries in three years. And then to have that? Couldn't draw it up. Like, I, I, was, I was super excited. You could see in the celebration, it's, you know, it's so much that this club's given to me. And, and um, I'm, I'm just happy to play here. That is exactly the kind of opening game Phil Neville would have wanted dreamt about and got great story to start in the Rose City and finally 17 players departed LAFC this offseason including MLS Cup starters Palacios Chiellini Cripo and Acosta but nobody's absence was more apparent than LAFC's number 10 Carlos Vela for the first time in its history LAFC kicked off his season without Vela who has as of today is not on any MLS or professional soccer roster. But if you visit the LAFC locker room or training center, his gear's still up, his shoes are still there, his shin guards still stink. So maybe, maybe he's coming back. But even without their LAFC legend, there's still a ton of quality left to be found in their 11. Start with the upgrade they got a goalkeeper. World Cup winning goalkeeper, Hugo Lloris. Atuesta returns after a two-year absence. Let's call it what it was. It was a business trip to Brazil. Then he returns, and after five minutes of watching him, it's as if he never left. But the question still remains. Who will play the nine? Can Bogush play a false nine enough to run the season? He scored on day one a banger. But that doesn't mean they don't need to sign someone this summer. That doesn't mean they don't need depth. And that doesn't mean they may not go look to a French-speaking teammate of Hugo Lloris. There's only one person that can answer those questions. And you better believe it, we got him on the show. All right, let's get to the rest of the episode. It's a tale of two teams. First, we go to LAFC. Last year's Western Conference Finals winners, one game away from being back-to-back champions. Now, they made big moves this offseason, as they always do. And I wanted to talk to their co-president, general manager, and my former teammate, John Thorrington. John, for the listeners at home, for the listeners in the car, you and I have known each other since we were 18 years old. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Top three favorite teammates of yours, and I cannot be included. Don't worry, you don't need to say that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Logan Paws, Chris Armas. Oof. I'm going to say Danny Califf. Interesting. So were those three choices based on on the field, or I'm assuming more about off the field? Danny just popped into my head. Um, <laughs> I've known Danny for, for a long time. I would say it's a combination of both, Taylor. I think part of a lot of our memories as former players, I think, are, you know, a lot of it is sharing moments on the field, but just as much off the field. And those are three guys that I also had a very special relationship with off the field. Are you as excited as I am or more so? Excited is the wrong word. More intrigued to see how Chris Armas does now that he's gotten a, a, another shot here in Colorado? Yeah, Chris... 
you know, my time with Chris and my relationship with Chris was very different from the other two. Danny and I sort of grew up together. We played for the same club team growing up. And then we were with that same team that you were on with mm-hmm. the youth national teams. And Logan was also my sort of, we were similar age, going through the same sort of stuff in our careers. Chris was very different in that he was more of a mentor type role when I joined Chicago and as a relationship that that we have kept close over the years. And I always thought Chris would be a phenomenal coach. He was my assistant coach the first year after he retired. He was just so helpful to me in in that stage of my career. So I always knew he had this ability to connect with players. And frankly, I've been surprised a little bit, and I think this is a compliment, but surprised that he hasn't done really well as head coach somewhere as yet. Yep. But obviously yep. very highly valued in the organizations he's been at. And yeah, it's difficult for me to cheer for somebody that's in my conference to say, I hope right. he does really well. But on a personal level, um, I know that Colorado has a phenomenal human being. And I hope despite the few opportunities they play against us, I do hope for his sake it goes well. And one of the best guys to ever play with in the locker room is yep. his time with the national team was unlike any other. Let's get right into it. Take me back to December 9th. What happened from your point of view? Obviously, you're referring to uh, the 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 final. There was a sense of real pride that we were still standing when it came to the yep. final. That is not to say we went into that final thinking about anything other than winning that. I want to give a lot of credit. That Columbus team is a very good team. I think they really hit their stride at the right moment. I think we on the contrary, it's sort of like been through the ringer all year and then sort of survived and got there. Whereas I think some of the momentum that they carried from their wins against Cincinnati and things like that, they carried into the final. We know ourselves how important it is to be at home. Um, I have never seen Columbus like that before. And they certainly really exploited that home field advantage and played really well. I think we sort of looked shell-shocked to me, which was odd given all the finals we played. I don't want to call it shell-shocked, but for whatever reason, we were not at anywhere near our usual standard in that first half. I think the penalty, you know, depending on who you talk to, an LAFC fan would say it's not a penalty. A Columbus fan would say it's for sure a penalty. This is the type of moment why VAR is needed because immediately you thought, nope, that hit the right arm of Diego Palacios. But I think the first look we gave you on the slow-mo, I actually think it hits the right chest bone of Diego Palacios, then the right hand. It did look like it hit the... They score the penalty, and then to think a team that's experienced as ours, it was basically a four-minute meltdown. You give up the goal, and then... We make a bad play, it's flash, they make a good play, get the second goal, and it's four minutes then. It has been Columbus Crew from the opening whistle. It's bold, it's brash, it's beautiful. 2-0 here in Columbus as the crew put on a show. I had the sense, like, if the game would have kept going for another five, ten minutes, maybe we'd get another goal. But, you know, I have to credit Columbus. I think I... Not even reluctantly, but I admit, I think on the course of the 90 minutes, they were the better team and they deserved it on the day. But it, it was really hard to know the mountain we'd climbed, 
after like sort of climbing a mountain, falling off, climbing a mountain, and guys that that you know to be there was certainly um, something to be proud of. But uh, we unfortunately just came up a bit short. Last year was this time a where this team got to some many big moments. Flat's the wrong word, but John, you know what I'm saying. They were yeah. flat in the big moments or gave away yeah. moments where they kind of looked like you're, they, they were in control. Are you concerned at all that's now part of the DNA? No. I think it's a fair question to ask, and certainly I would be honest with you if I did feel that way. Yep. I think there are reasons behind. So I think what I would refer to is two finals where arguably we didn't throw, I, I use this terminology, we didn't throw our best punch. And I would say that was the Champions League final, and I would say that was Agreed. Uh, the MLS Cup final. But look, every game you play for LAFC and it's a knockout game, it's a big game because everybody's going to ask that question. Well, they're a great team, but we've had that in our past. We won Supporter Shield twice. We won MLS Cup. We have shown up in finals. That game against Houston, semifinal, everybody thinking, oh, what's going to happen? Going to Seattle, massive game. Guys showed up, we Agreed. won. So I think, in fact, it's the opposite. These guys are battle-tested. I think these losses that we have in finals only will fuel us to future success. I think it's also interesting when I ask the question, is it in your DNA? Naturally, I think my own answer to that will be, well, it's almost impossible for it to be in the DNA. You always have constant turnover within your roster. You constantly are challenging the league. You're challenging your team. You're challenging your manager, John, with how you go about building this roster. How do you plan? Is it every four months, six months, eight months? How do you go about building this? Because you guys consistently, every transfer window, are the topic of conversation for Major League Soccer. It's it's a good question. And when you say we challenge the league, we challenge ourselves. Like, we don't take years off. There aren't rebuilding years here. The expectation is here is to to win trophies each and every year. You've been in this league long enough, uh, well, longer than I have. And the league is not, you know, when you're trying to prioritize competitiveness and parity and all the rest of it, the league's not really designed to do what we do. And we don't accept that. You know, we don't say, okay, this thing's not designed to do that and we'll just accept that. We we go for it every single year. Yep. As a consequence, you have off-seasons and windows like we do, which is we need to make sales. We need to make moves because what we're trying to do accelerates at a rate that exceeds our salary cap. So we constantly are needing to invest. We constantly need to sell. And it makes for a challenge is the best way of putting it. There are times where it's it's a lot. Yep. The planning comes in is, okay, we're going to go and get David Martinez before this tournament when he blows up and now every club wants him. So that's that's a key part of the challenge. We need to be there first with me making these final decisions. I'm glad you brought it up. David Martinez, best U18 player in the world, said by the Guardian quote, he's the best Venezuelan player of his generation. How do you pull off this deal in this moment when a player like that has the eyes of Ajax and other scouts around the world, but also more importantly, John, how are you selling LAFC to a player 18 years old in Venezuela that has the likes of the biggest clubs in the world of saying, hang on a minute, you're going to come to Los Angeles and we're going to help you get there? I think when we're making these moves, I think it's testament to what MLS is doing. And I think it's the type of move that would not likely have been considered 
a few years ago. But Agreed. the way we work and essentially, and not in a like uh, used car salesman type role, but I am a salesman. I mean, I'm out there and I'm talking to these players saying, whether it's Hugo Lloris or David Martinez, hey, this is the good spot for you. And it, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but seven years ago, I was selling renderings of a stadium and a vision. And <laughs> what I love about my role is I don't feel like I need to be disingenuous in any way. I just say, yeah. all I want to do is get you all of this information so that you can make an informed decision. Whether you are a recently turned 18-year-old who's thinking, oh, should I wait for Ajax, Dortmund, Real Madrid? Or hang on, is this right for me? And I can explain what that path looks like. Or if you're Hugo Lloris and you have Premier League clubs thinking, well, hang on, you're not playing a ton. Why don't you come here? I can just say, this is who we are. I believe this is right for you. And if you agree, let's get this deal done. And thankfully, you know, in the case of, of David, we were able to do that um, with a player who admittedly, one of our scouts in that part of South America has been tracking this guy since he was 15 years old. Yes. And this was not on his radar. But as soon as it was, we were ready to go. And with the moves we made this offseason, we're able to, to execute. It's got to be easier for David Martinez, though, versus seven years ago when you're showing them renderings where yeah. now you can show them concrete, tangible evidence about who you are, 3252 and all that. It's got to be easier. But I'm actually more curious, 37-year-old Hugo Lloris, how, why, when, what? Yeah, I think your like incredulous response was similar to me when, you know, because our process is, you know, I'm doing most of the the groundwork and I'm having these conversations and I've got a very active thread with my owners. And I always wait because I get so much. <laughs> I wait till it passes like a certain threshold of, of, of truth to share it. And you know, but I still have to say, look, until I see a signature, it was the same with Bale, Akili, all of it. It's like, until I see a signature, like, it's hard for me to believe this. But, like, he's a trustworthy guy, and I'm having conversations face-to-face, and this feels real. And, again, it was clear, look, this is us. We'll be up front. These are our parameters. This is what we see for you here at LAFC. And, thankfully, he agreed. You know, on and off the field, uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, I can enjoy this experience. And, uh, and when the LEFC experience uh, come as an option, you know, I was uh, so much excited, you know, to, to come and uh, everything uh, went so quick. I'm still waiting for my family to come, but uh, they are coming soon and, um, and we're going to start our, our new chapter, you know, a new life chapter together. I think for him, you know, on the field, off the field, LAFC is a great fit. I can't speak high enough of the impact he's already had on our players. Yeah. Just watching this guy lead from his position. And I mean, I think that's a rare skill set. I think you and I both played with good goalkeepers over the years, but an ability to direct the striker from goalkeeper and really, and I could just see the impact he has on our group and it's phenomenal. So um, very fortunate. And again, I think it's, it's just a, a testament to, you know, going from those renderings and a vision of what this club wanted to be to to where we are today. One of my favorite players in LAFC history is Atuesta. You bring him back on loan. I'd argue he's your most important signing this offseason. Is that a fair argument? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I agree because we have some other additions. But look, I, I share. I, Edward's one of my favorite players in the history of LAFC. I just think he's a phenomenal player. 
it's hard not to feel almost paternal yep. for me about this club and the young players that have come through. But Edward has is, you know, one of the best players of our history. And now he's gone away, played at a really big club. And now to bring that back to LAFC and just to see the smile on his face and, a, you know, a journalist at his press conference asked, you know, what's changed? And for Edward to say, it felt like I left for Brazil last week. Everything is familiar. I, this is home for me, you know, like we, we grew up uh, together, the club and me. So it is very special for me. And that to me was a proud moment to, you know, to think like we, we have a culture that sticks. What he'll bring is, you know, a bit of versatility. We know he could play as a six. We know he could play as an eight. He plays a 10. He's just a phenomenal talent. And you can see that these two years in Brazil have benefited him and thoroughly celebrated uh, when we got across the line with, you know, me, our, our staff and the coaches. Right now, would you say you answered all of your off-season questions that you had before the opening game? No, I think, you know, we're still in conversation with Carlos. Yeah, um, Carlos Vela. He's been a key part of your club since you entered the league. I would love to be able to find a way to to make it work for him to return to LAFC. So I think that's that. What's question. holding it up, John? What's holding it up? Without, you know, negotiating in public, it's just a function of what we yep. can do and, and what makes sense for Carlos and... It's it's by no means a lack of desire on our part. That's that's for sure. I mean, Carlos is the face of our organization, has been the cornerstone of what we've built here, and we certainly are all well aware of that. And um, yeah, I I think LAFC fans as well. I think the last thing they want to see is Carlos play for another MLS franchise for twelve to eighteen months and then walk away from a career that he's had such an impact with LAFC and their brand. I got a good one for you, Denis Bawanga. Last year's Golden Boot winner. How much has he worked to you? A lot. If you go back and think about what top scorers in this league are worth, it's a lot. And I think, you know, to do it from his position, you know, the, he's the third player in five years, I believe, for from LAFC, none of whom are really a traditional striker, which typically, you know, like yourself. Mm -hmm. oh! Yeah, look, Denis is a phenomenal player. I think his individual abilities are unlike anything yep. in this league. I think naturally that's going to draw interest, which we don't shy away from. We know that's that's a part of it. And and I know, I know Denis loves it here. I know that. You know, he's very clear about that. So I, I think Denis will continue to build on his legacy here. Um, at LAFC. And for how long that is, time will tell, but we certainly won't be complaining if Denise banging in goals for many years here. Is he friends at all with Antoine Griezmann? I'm just curious. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> he, uh, the French, I do know it's a tight circle, and I do know, having spoken to Ugo, um, that, that Denise doing well here, I mean, Ugo even referenced it in his press conference that you know, he knew very well of the league, but but Denis doing well here has certain, certainly brought attention, more attention um, in France to MLS. John, I feel like this summer is going to be a massive summer for you. Am I wrong? You know, 
I go into every window thinking it's going to be a little bit less chaotic than it is. Uh, <laughs> things, you know, um, look, if you were to ask me with a crystal ball now, barring sales, I actually feel really good about our group. And I would say whether it's now or in the summer, I think we'll have a big si a significant signing, at least one more. Um, and then the chaos will only ensue if there's a player sale or, or something along those lines. But I do, but I, you know, I would have said that at the beginning. I think I probably said the exact same thing at the beginning of 2022. And in the summer, we signed Giorgio, Denis, exactly. and Bale. So uh, I've learned to be nimble in, in thinking about these things. So final question for you. What makes 2024 a success in your mind? Trophies is what defines success here at LAFC. So I think, you know, for us, the way we manage things is always to be as best we can to be able to make moves as they're needed. And so what we've done, when you say looking ahead, how busy is the summer going to be? A lot of that's also going to be a function of how well we do the first half of the season and then the ability to take that information to then say, okay, this is what we think we need to really go win the ultimate prize. And if you go back to the summer of 22, we were in first place. And we'd signed Bale, we'd signed Chiellini. Very easy to say, okay, you're, you're okay. We felt we needed Denis. And that was a big last day of the deadline move that we felt we needed. And that's sort of how we operate is as much as we can, you know, we plan very thoroughly for each, you know, a window from now, two windows from now, and so on. But then as needs arise, hopefully having the flexibility to add what we need to, to go for it because that's what this club does. I think the greatest compliment I can give you, buddy, I've known you for a long time, is that you do go for it. And that's the one thing so many of my listeners, so many of Apple TV fans, season pass uh, subscribers, all of that, every single time I host a show, I'm open to questions, it's about LAFC. That is a compliment to you, your owners, and your brand because you do go for it. And in this league, we need more of you. We need more... LAFCs that want to go for it. I think we're going to get that over the next couple of years. But my man, I look forward to 2024 because uh, you're going to be seeing a lot of me, unfortunately. No, oh, I, 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 I joke, Taylor, but it's always a pleasure <laughs> to see you. And I can, I can return the compliment, you know, thinking back to 18-year-old hoodlums that we were to think uh, the success you've had. So it, it, it brings me great pride to see you um, and all the success you've had as well. Good luck, dude. I'll see you soon. All righty. John Thorrington, co-president, general manager of LAFC. Their next game is Saturday, March 2nd against Real Salt Lake. And now let's go out to Colorado. Last season, the Rapids were dead last in the West. So what did they do? They went out and got a new manager, another former teammate of mine, Chris Armas. Now, Chris is a legend on the field with the LA Galaxy and the Chicago Fire in the 1990s and early 2000s. And since hanging up his boots, he's turned to coaching. The New York Red Bulls, Toronto FC. In the last few years, he's been overseas in the Premier League at Manchester United and Leeds United. But now, he's back in the States and ready to take on a challenge. I spent years playing against Chris Armas. A few games with him. So I know what he's made of. And I know he's up for the challenge. But first... I had to put him on the spot. Your three favorite teammates. Go. 
gosh, Josh Wolf, um, Jesse Marsh, and uh, Peter Novak, and I, I know C.J. Brown, and uh, I mean, nope, not fair nope, question. Nope, you only get three. That's why I put you on the spot. Nice, nice, good one. You couldn't you know have let me amazing? know that ahead of You time. know what's amazing about this, Chris, and the reason why I asked you is we just had John Thorrington on, and I asked him the same question, and you were number one for him. You were number one, and he didn't even come across your mind. Now, what does that say to John Thornton? Hey, John Thornton. Hey, Harry, man. <laughs> Listen. Yeah. Terrible of you. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, let's yeah, get right into it, one. buddy. Yeah. And the reason why I asked you and I said this to John is there was such a mutual respect between our revolution days and the in the Chicago Fire locker rooms. There, there was a lot of similar type of personalities, energy. We were so competitive. Uh, we had some battles, didn't we? Listen, my last pro game, you score a bicycle kick. Taylor Tolman goes airborne. I mean, we're, we're going to go to the championship, right? Um, good old days. Oh, Chris, we had a blast. First off, congratulations. Welcome back. This league is better with having you back. But we're talking less than 48 hours after your first game at Portland. Yeah. Difficult results. Just fill me in. What went wrong? What did you learn? You know, what do you want to get out of it? Oh, yeah. Listen, it, the result isn't great. And it's a strange one. Now, in all the games as a player and coach, uh, we gave up three shots on goal. Almost all of them are outside the box. It's four goals conceded. There's an own goal so it's as you're trying to build confidence and, and build a way to, to take that on the chin, the, the guys um, took it. And, and honestly, we win the second half. You need four of them, but you can't get to four until you get that first one. It's Calvin Harris, the 23-year-old from Middlesbrough on the backside. At 2-0, we have a couple of big chances. It was always going to be a tough one on the road, Taylor. But um, there's something good brewing here for sure. How big of a project is it, Chris? Because obviously Colorado's been up and down for so many years, and you're coming in with this. You've had, what, 24 different transactions since uh, last season. Just uh, how big of a project is this? Yeah, look, it, 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 it is. It's a, it's a rebuild for sure. Um, the good thing is that we've gotten some nice pieces in straight away, which will help that and is helping that. Guys like uh, Georgi Mihaljevic, Zach, Stefan, for sure, Sam Bynes, those guys help change the culture immediately when you're trying to bring a winning culture, winning ways. You just bring some winners. Um, however, it's a team, like we started nine, I think, of, of the nine, nine of the starters or eight or were here last year. So there's one, a style of play that I'm bringing that is just different. It revolves around more intensity and verticality and compactness. I'm a ball-oriented, hunt-the-ball coach. This was more of a man-marking team, which certainly takes a little bit of time when I'm asking to, to move, move in, in zonally and it's and we're, we're stuck to men. So that part of it, um, the verticality piece, if you're a, a team mm -hmm. that's used to just keeping it maybe a little bit more back passes and I'm, I'm asking for, for more of this, again, it's we're seeing it. We had some good chances the other night, but it's going to take a little time. Um, it's a team that scored 26 goals last year. Um, we scored, I think, 20 in preseason. So we're, we're on to something. And a team that gave up a lot of goals. So winning, winning 
I was part of winning teams. And, and that's the interesting part to me, Chris, right? Because you were a winner in your day. And the Chicago Fire are the Eastern Conference champions in 2003. Oftentimes, new managers come in and they say, we want to create this winning mentality, winning identity. I'd argue that's hard to teach. Sometimes you've got to learn that. So how do you tell this group or how do you get this group to learn that or to acquire that, which is what something you and I probably take for granted? Yeah. It was 4-0 at halftime, and I saw what the faces looked like. And I said, guys, stop. Not here we go again. Get your heads up. We'll make a little change structurally, but I promise you guys, we'll get the next goal. Let's win the half. Tonight, we'll find out a lot about ourselves. You'll, you'll show me who you are and who we are. They won the second half. They didn't give up a shot mm -hmm. on goal. They pushed the game. They stuck together. I swear, at 4-1, they all thought they had a chance. And that was yep. a big moment for the team. So externally, there'll be lots of noise about what the team and tomorrow when I'm back around them, it's going to be, guys, we are winners. And I have to keep saying this and saying this. One, we have to believe it. Yep. Two, we have to have winning behaviors. So every day in training, we have the winning behaviors, the counterpressing, the sprinting back, the celebrating blocking crosses. This is happening every day. But listen, in our league, things can turn quickly. Cincinnati showed us that. However... Winners don't become winners overnight. It's going to be a process. We've added a few to the team for sure. Georgie Mihaljevic, Zach Steffen, they're winners. And uh, they're, they're, they're being asked by me and Keegan to push this dialogue internally. What's interesting, Chris, is you were one of the best in, I would say, most competitive players I played against in the sense where if it was three against three in national team training, if it was five against five, if it was the all-star game, if it was soccer tennis, you wanted to win the game and win that, I would say, exercise. It's also hard for people like yourself to relate with others that are kind of looking around going, what, what does that mean? How do you do that? And yet I look at your style of play, it almost forces the player that doesn't know how to win to have to become a winner because it takes the thinking out of it, right? It sure. just becomes more, we're going to get after you for 90 minutes. Am I am I wrong on that? No, you're right. You're 100% right. And that is the challenge right now. Like, for instance, our center backs, oftentimes their default is passive and I want it to become proactive and aggressive. So we're, pre we're in their end. We have the ball, rest defense, the ball comes out. And instead of stepping in front and winning it, They'll err on the side of back off. They'll let the guy have it. And then all of a sudden, it's a transition moment. And I'm saying, guys, passiveness will get us in trouble. Go aggressive. Backline shifting. Don't just stay. Go. So compressing spaces, being on the front foot, defending the midline is not always normal. It's normal to, to me the way I've always been coached and played. Um, but trying to coach the team to play on the front foot and we want our fans on the edge of their seats, man. And this is not easy because yep. you got to put yourself out there. But fear of failure equals failure. I know that. We're going to become a team. We were the other night in certain ways that if we're dangerous when we don't have the ball, if we can force mistakes, but we have to play on the front foot, which again, I saw it in Mexico in preseason. I saw it against Orlando. Uh, we, we 
We were down 2-0. We came back 2-2. We lose it in the end in preseason. But when we're on the front foot, when teams in general are, we'll be at our best and we'll be able to, to start believing we can be disruptive and hurt teams. Chris, what's interesting to me is your belief uh, in this style of play, in this system, I think it suited you as a player. I really did. I think in this style, this the way the Red Bull teaches the game and the way they get after it, I feel like Chris Armas, the player, would have really thrived in that system. Why is Chris Armas, the manager, such a believer in this style? Well, look, I won from the experiences as a player. So my favorite player was Zidane. I never got to play against him, but if I ever did, it would have been, I always ask, why do they step off? Why do they give him so much time and space? Well, if you get close, <laughs> he'll hurt you, but he's going to hurt you either way. So why not make him really earn it? And, and no one can tell me that any player doesn't want time and space when they have the ball. And then of course, then to make passes to other players who also have time and space. So for me, um, I study the game. I love the tactics. And I study Pep and Arteta and watch Leverkusen. I'm watching the top still uh, Japanese national team, Brazilian national team. I watch teams. Oftentimes people talk about, wow, look at the rotations. Three, two, five, spread the field between lines, lure the opposition, break lines. I know the attacking principles. However, those teams are amazing against the ball. They're amazing yes, against they the ball. Are. They play in compact yes, they spaces. They counterpress incredibly well. They can rec their recovery runs, the way Pep and the and, and the top coaches can get wingers to become fullbacks in a low block. So that's what I take from that. So when you ask me what why this, well, yeah, I mean I lived it as a player, and I know as a as a coach, I've coached it this way. When we in New York, we did. I took over. We went to Supporter Shield without the most talented roster. We did. Um, I fundamentally uh, see it this way, and I think it's. I think also if I'm a fan. I want a pay ticket to come see a team play. I want to see a team go after it. I want to see a team attack when we have the ball and try to get it back when we don't and have real ideas. So it's what I'd pay a ticket to see. So I want to put out a team that, that plays exciting football. Yeah, there, there's a part of entertainment to this. Absolutely, 100%. And what people don't understand, and I sat down and had a long conversation with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and the biggest reason why he and Pep didn't get along was actually his reactions defensively. Pep didn't like it. It wasn't quick enough. The David Villas, the Thierry Henrys, the Messis, the Xavis, the Iniestas, the Busquets, immediately when that Barcelona team lost the ball, yeah. they put pressure on you, Chris. And that's it, because they dominate possession. That's not talked about. Look at Man City now, one of the best counter-pressing teams sure. in the world. And I think it's a great segue here because we haven't heard a lot from you since you went over to Europe. Manchester United, Leeds. Chris, what did you learn? What was it like? What was the experience like for you? Yeah, Taylor, I'll tell you, it was heaven sent. Um, you know, I'd oftentimes, I was probably the first one to get there every day. And um, I was the last to leave. You know, my family was back and forth between New York and Manchester. Just walking around the hallways at night, just the, the, the what happened, the culture with uh, the young players, the, the, the 90s, what we all witnessed at Manchester United. Yeah. Sir Alex, who I'm, I've read the books but to just feel the what a special place. And I'm, I'm on the inside now, learning from Ralph Rangnick, the manager, how he could manage these big personalities and top talents. And I learned from the players and other coaches there. I mean, if, you, if you're smart enough, you can listen and watch and have discussions with a Cristiano, a Eddie Cavani and some Spanish and uh, Juan Mata. 
these real guys, you, you know, Bruno Fernandez, you don't, it's not every day in common that you can get to be around these guys. So watching them, watching the habits, watching and, and listening and having conversation, learning from the Premier League, watching what other managers are doing in games, the, the compactness that, that teams play over there. Like, whoa, you're seeing it up close. You know, we played some Champions League, um, Atletico Madrid. It's just really, really uh, an incredible learning experience, watching, learning from inside, out, outside the team, the, the Premier League in general, the power and pace of that league. Uh, and I, I didn't have a take a day off there. I learned a lot and come back with even more confidence and, and knowledge. Yeah, I mean, you, you've you never taken a day off your entire life, which is why you and I have always hit it off. It's why I respect you so much. Likewise. But for our listeners, the last time we saw Chris Armas to now, February 26, 2024, how are you different? Listen, I, I just as we get older, as you know, it's perspective. My dad died a year and a half ago. Man, I went through a, he went through a battle with cancer. It just there's a certain even more uh, maturity and ease about life in general. I'm, I'm, I'm in the best position as I've been to, to coach a group of, of men. And the best part is from my experiences, even in Toronto, like uh, learning, learning, just learn from what that roster needs to look like, how hard I have to fight to make it go that way. I can't, right, as you say, how, can you really coach guys to be winners if they're truly not? Can you teach a guy to be hungry? Because you and I, we're still hungry. You know, we still are yep. hungry and you never lose that. Messi, you watch him last night. He's so pissed off after that game. And you can see yeah. I'm watching. He's still so hungry. We know this. It's 1-1, 94th minute. He's running to grab the ball to take a corner to no win doubt. the game 2-1, Chris. No doubt. So the hunger. Right now, Colorado Rapids, it's a hungry roster, man. They look at you wide eyes open. They're, they're coming every day. How can we do this? How, this is what I want to coach. Top players will take it. Zach Steffen. I have a great relationship straight away, challenging him, Georgie, but hungry roster, guys that that we all have winning in us, just got to get the winning habits going, but I'm I'm more equipped than ever. And I feel like you're more motivated than ever because quite honestly, Chris, and I texted you this afterwards, but for our listeners, the way Toronto went for you is completely unfair, uh, completely incomplete, for lack of a better way to put it. And then you go learn and you roll up your sleeves, I just feel like this is a spot where Chris Armas is supposed to shine, right? Chip on your shoulder, motivated. I just feel like you could run through a wall right now on this podcast in this conversation of saying, I'm going to get it done here. That's the plan, man. I I, uh, I have a good staff around me. I have an attentive team to get this right. We have to get this right. Now, yeah, man, like I'm a competitor. I've always been a competitor and, and I know the league. I know what winning looks like. It's now, yes, we have a, a good team, but we're a young team. How much time does it take? Not sure, man, but I'm realistic to, to know it's going to take some time. Toronto needed time, but now I'm hoping to have that time because uh, we, we do have some talent. We have some youth, which is really important to play the style that we want to play, yep. right? But when you have a young team, you got to there's, there's going to be a lot to learn, but there's going to be some growing pains too. But uh, I, I love the spot I'm in right now, Taylor. Who's your most important player this season? And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but oftentimes coaches, people on the outside, Chris, will have different viewpoints. I know what I look at, and yeah. I'll tell you what I'm going to say after this interview. You got to have a guy that can put the ball in the back of the net. You just do. 
Now, you may tell me collectively, Taylor, we could get four or five guys that have eight, nine, ten goals. We don't need one guy. But if there's one guy that scares the opposition, Chris, I think the rest of your roster is got quality all over it and goals are there to be had. What am I missing? Yeah, man. Look, you asked the question. For me, the most important guy is Georgi Mihaljevic. It's a decent looking ball here. Emilia has missed it. Massive chance. Mihaljevic must score and does. Here is Baird again. It's open to Mihaljevic. Pure joy for Georgi. He is a firecracker. He's a He's a competitor. Winning matters. Losing, he he gets crazy. Like it's this emotional, competitive. He's a real talent. Now, of course, if you have the goal scorer, like you can't do it without real the goal scorer. I know that. Bradley Wright Phillips, uh, you know Cristiano, like every Taylor Twelman. Each team needs a killer up there. Now we have the Rafa Navarro and Darren Yappy. Those are our two guys. But but if Georgie's going, if we find him, if he can be yeah. the guy, not and. Our guys have to learn. I have to teach them. Find Georgie. Like last night, they all look for Messi. He's our Messi. He is our Messi. We have to, if if he's open on the flank here and you give him the ball, Peter Novak, Claudio Reyna, these are the guys like that I would always be able to give the ball to. Stoichkov, like it had to be. So now, guys, we have to use him. We have to find him. And now he can be the guy. He can get our striker 15 goals, you know, and you and then you need that. But he he's the catalyst. I think what's interesting too, Chris, St. Louis City kind of showed you that if you are all in, that roster delivered last year, they outkicked their coverage. Nothing unlike anything we expected. Similar type of style, right? But they had a lot of inexperience on the roster. They had some, like, there is there is the possibility that Colorado, and I've said this on a couple shows recently, Chris, I think you guys can surprise some people, mainly because of you and your experience, to the style of play. But three, the Western Conference is unpredictable. And I thought it was interesting in an interview, you said getting hired to Colorado was the proudest moment of your career. Where should Colorado be in six months, 12 months, 18 months from now, from Chris Armas' point of view? My expectation is that we have a team that is really together. Like, there's not a whole lot of things I said day one in front of the team. The first one was team first. I won't relent from that. It's um, winning can't be done any other way. So it was team first. And and the other word that I said was, or phrase was attack. We're going to understand how to attack with and without the ball. So so if I see a guy in the elevator two hours later, they'll remember two things. Um, yep. that in six months, they we see a team that's together, that fights together, that runs for each other, that puts the team first. Um, in tough moments can be a good example of what real teams look like. And then, of course, a team that that plays on the front foot. That puts us in a spot to make the playoffs. That's where I want to be. Because once you get there, you know you can make some noise, and so it's it's you can you can hurt anyone in the playoffs. So that's my goal. That's what they can expect. Um, time will tell, but we have, we have real work to do. But I'm I'm up for it. Chris, I look forward to watching the Colorado Rapids this year, but more so you and I reconnecting and seeing you evolve. I can't believe when you took over the New York Red Bulls, I remember showing up at Red Bull Arena, looking at you, going, "Wait a minute, are we really going to do this? This is our life." And now I'm going to have to go to Denver, Colorado and do the same, buddy. I look forward to covering you guys this year. Nah, thanks, man. Thanks for always uh, the work that you're doing for, for the league, the sport. Um, you're amazing. And, and thanks for having me on, Taylor. I'll wear my shin guards next time I see you. You better. <laughs> you better. 
Colorado Rapids head coach Chris Armas to get a chance at redemption on March 9th against their Rocky Mountain rivals, Real Salt Lake. That's all from us today. Thank you, Chris and John, for taking on the offside with Taylor Twelman Gauntlet. It's not that hard. It's not that difficult. Anyways, good luck to the both of you throughout the 2024 season. I have to catch a flight to, yeah, uh uh-huh. It's not really a flight. I'm telling you guys I fly, but I literally just live in Messi's basement. But Miami and Orlando City. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can call us at 646-571-8496 or email me at offsidepodwithtaylor at gmail.com. And as always, yell at me somewhere. Offside with Taylor Twelman is a Major League Soccer podcast produced by Apple TV and Rain Delay Media. Our executive producers are Peter Moses and John Yales. Isabel Angel is our editor. Isabel and Jonah Buchanan are our producers. Iggy Monda is our associate producer and archival coordinator. Michael Janot is our engineer. Music was composed by Brian Decker. And I'm your host, Taylor Twelman. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts. All right, here we go. Five, four, three, two, energy. I am on three hours of sleep. Taylor Twelman, here we go.